it's time for a change. Strap your headphones on and join Chris, Scott, and Sean. Three active duty police officers in the Chicago suburbs. As they face the tough subjects, including police brutality, racial tension, rioting, and more. Weekly, you'll get tips and tricks on how to keep you and your family safe, what to do during traffic stops, how to handle domestic violence, and more. This This is a show about about opening a dialogue, accepting that something has to be done, and bringing communities together again. And now your hosts, Chris, Scott, and Sean. All right, welcome back to another episode of Three Cops Talk. Uh, I'm Sean. I got Chris and Scott with me again, as usual. Um, this is our second Q&A session, and we decided to come up with an idea to bring some folks in from outside the police community or related to things that are directly affecting the police community. And uh, today's guest is a guy I know by Sweet Lou Graham, um, <laughs> a guy I met through hockey. My son and his son played hockey together. And as I got to know Lou, he was a bit of a renaissance man, a very fascinating guy to talk to. His family is awesome, great people. Uh, we were definitely experiencing some tough times in, in law enforcement, some of the things that we were seeing and dealing with and doing. And Lou was always there to talk with me at times. We were, we were spending these times freezing our asses off in a hockey arena. And uh, it was great. His family was always good to us. We were new to it. Um, and Lou's a pilot. And I always had a fascination with aviation. It was a fascination. Um, but uh, the volleyball uh, scene. Right, yeah. <laughs> Top Gun or Airplane, things along those lines. all I really knew about it. I just knew I wanted to be a pilot when I was a kid. But I didn't realize that you actually have to study to do those things. So I uh, didn't get to do that. And I realized why I was put on terra firma. Uh, <laughs> why the <laughs> Army was the best branch for me. Can you salute? Yeah. Right, right. So we decided to bring Lou in because he's a great guy. He's very Hemingway-esque, except for the... <laughs> His ending's going to be way better than that. I, you know, anyway, but when you meet him, he tells us these. He tells you these stories that are really awesome stories about uh, a lot of different things in life, and it's, he's really, really got a unique background. I'm going to let Lou talk a little bit about himself real quick, and then we're going to get to the questions that Lou's prepared for us. Yeah, uh, guys, I, I appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity to come out and uh, be part of this. I've been following it uh, from the beginning. When Sean told me that uh, th- you guys were starting this, I thought it, it was a great idea at a, at a great time to be to be doing something at, uh, at this caliber. Thanks. But um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a pilot. Uh, the first question I usually get when I tell people I'm a pilot is, "Who do I fly for? What airline?" Uh, I actually don't fly for an airline. I fly for a family uh, that has a a lot of money, and um, we have two private jets. Here's my card. <laughs> right? <laughs> Someday. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what's funny is, is you know, then everybody wants to know what the family does, and the first guess is always that they're in the mob, <laughs> which is right. not true. Uh, um, but it, 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 they, they don't, to put it blatantly, they own a patent. I mean, that's right. it. I, right. I, and the job before this, I worked for the guy that invented the hose reel for the side of your house. So, I mean. Wow. Damn. Yeah. yeah. So, it, and, you know, it's, one that, day joking with him, I said, It's not quite as exciting as right? the mafia. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just go with the mafia. Right. Yeah, right. Right. I'm the yeah. mafia guy that invented the whole thing. Right. Right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I don't I know the mafia patents. <laughs> I made fun of him once. I was like, you know, I got, I got one of your hose reels, and it lasted me maybe eight months. He's like, that's the point. Now go fly my jet. Go fly my jet. <laughs> uh, no, actually, but I, I grew up in aviation. Um, I had a, one grandfather who was in the Air Force. Uh, my other grandfather actually delivered mail on open cockpit airplanes. Oh, wow. And wow. Uh, my dad owned uh, a local airport. And 
you know, and so the question of that is, well, you guys have a lot of money. And my dad always said, if you want to make $2 million in aviation, always start with, or if you want to make $1 million in aviation, start with two. Right. Right. But, uh, yeah, so I, I grew up around <laughs> it, you know, went to kindergarten. I was like, well, what kind of plane does your dad have? And they're like, what? What are you talking about? So, yeah, it was, uh, it, it was. He just lands one of those crop <laughs> dusters <laughs> in the parking lot <laughs> and pick them up at lunch. <laughs> yeah. My dad left with the babysitter. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, not really, uh, not my dad. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, so it's 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 a great way to make a living. Um, you know, we we travel worldwide. Um, and if if you can find the right family and they respect stuff like your work-life balance, it's 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 great. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. He took us he took us to meet. Uh, he's like, "You want to go see the aircraft?" I'm like, "This when is this is he going to knock me over the head? <laughs> and, and it was like legitimately he took us up to the airport that he flew out of, and we got to see the aircraft, and it was amazing. It was a super cool aircraft. It's like a, a cool-looking computer, basically, is what yeah, it yeah. is. Like really cool stuff in the back. Like I, I felt like Jay-Z or Beyonce or something <laughs> like that when I was sitting there. I was like, oh, my God, this is a, take me to a water, water park. <laughs> or but it was really nice to see like what his life was like, and, and, and it was really uh, pretty fascinating to me got to be friends over a while and he asked me to come fly with him one time and it was like something i always wanted to do i mean anytime i was flying in the military i was in the back of the plane and jumping out of it or we'd land and do whatever big aircraft you didn't see out the windows and i thought i was pretty good like yeah i, I got it simply because i watched top gun i want to be a pilot <laughs> and i got in this awesome plane that he had and he's taking me up and that's at the time it was like I was like COVID before COVID was cool. Like they didn't right. know what I was sick of for like six oh, months. Oh, I six remember that. Yeah, yeah, right. And I had taken this medication. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna jump in. I was like, go, oh, go, go for it, go for it. The skies so, were angry that day. Yeah, and you know, right, <laughs> we got up here. I, something was angry that day. Um, uh, he takes flies. He goes, you want to take the plane? Like take over like i'm like take over like uh, like it's like field training for a cop. I'm like <laughs> I'm gonna drive right now. Like you want me to do this right now? So. He lets me fly the plane. I'm like, I, I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm flying a freaking plane. Like, I'm doing it. Like, I'm an idiot. I'm flying a plane. I thought there was more <laughs> to it. he is. For <laughs> like, <you take> <laughs> I was going to say, that's like, what I say every right, day. Right, right. And how and long do you know him? He, he's sitting behind me. It's like a two-seater. I'm sitting up front. And, you know, there's things that, like, you can't really see out of an aircraft. Like, you think it's, like, in the movies or something like that. And it's just, like, our world is cops. It's not the same. So we're flying, and I start breaking all the golden rules of flying. Like, staring at things when the you know, when it's going by you outside the cockpit and i start getting like oh no <laughs> oh man I'm starting to sweat well see and i'm in the back going man he hasn't said anything in yeah. a while right, right, which Jeez. is odd you know and and i'm getting that hey hey sean you, uh, that's my house over there i just get the head nod and i'm thinking you know i, I haven't right. heard from him right in a bit. right, right. <laughs> <laughs> if you could see me you see my pit stains growing because i'm just sweating and uh He's like, oh, how's it going? I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, kid, yeah. There's just at the church. That kid I knew got married there, and, <laughs> and I'm like, man, can you take it back? And he's like, oh, yeah, sure. He just got got back to work, dude. He's talking, telling me about all the stuff that's going on. And I got this lucky Notre Dame hat that I'm wearing. I've worn that thing for years, I was back from my drug unit days. And I'm like, all right, I'm not puking in this dude's plane. <laughs> I'm not gonna make this thing a biohazard. He's he's showing me so much nice stuff. So inevitably, I have to take my hat off, and I end up just yakking in the top of my hat, um, holding it, the baseball cap in my hands as we're flying back in. And I don't think Lou really knew. Well, I didn't. Um, it, it got silent, and you said, "Hey, can we go back?" <clears throat> I looked down. I looked back. The hat's gone. 
I was like, okay, he's just being precautionary. <laughs> we get on the ground. Lots and of people I'm like, hold oh. their hat like that. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> we, we get on the when ground. begging for money. Right, <laughs> right. And uh, I taxi off the runway. I was like, all right, Sean, you can be able to, you know, do you want to get out here and throw up or do you, can you make it back to the <laughs> hangar? He goes, I already did it. <laughs> and I was like, I'm a pro. I mean, if if you're ever in a foxhole after a bad night of Mexican, <laughs> Sean's your guy. <laughs> <laughs> so Nobody's going to hear that. So when he opens the window for me, whatever they, they, they what they call it, I don't even know the term for it. He opens up. I just whoosh, throw the hat <laughs> out to the side of the, of the tarmac, and I'm like, I'll go get back to that later. Because yeah. you know, it, it, uh, it was a great experience. And realize why Lou is so unique, and he can do that. And that was an acrobatic plane. If we had done anything acrobatic, I probably... You know, he'd still be, we'd still be cleaning <laughs> that plane out. There's still yeah. time, Sean. Yeah, there's still time yet. Um, but that being said, that was like the start of a great relationship and friendship and things along those lines. And I realized what a good sport he was about things. And I was like, we got to get him on here to ask us our first set of questions. We're going to try to do this with a lot of different civilians, but uh, no pressure, Lou. Right. Uh, <laughs> we're just going to ask you to ask us some questions. Yeah, so right. But you have to ask us the first question. <laughs> In the pilot voice. Ladies and gentlemen, oh. from the flight deck, I'd like to welcome you aboard Three Cops Talk. <laughs> it's going to be a smooth ride today. I'm looking at about 35,000 feet. <laughs> My wife hates that voice. It's <laughs> so all for you. All yeah. for you. Yeah. So yeah, no, I I, uh, I got I got some questions that were emailed in to you guys, and then uh, I added a few of my own. Um, so the first question is climate change. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> climate change? Climate change. No. no. <laughs> uh, is a police officer ever really off duty? Um, you know, what, what guidance do you guys get when you're off duty as far as uh, when you should get involved or shouldn't or, or you know, to what extent you, you can get involved? Scott, you take that one. You're the boss. <laughs> wow, no pressure there. Um, well, like from the uh, like the personal standpoint of are you ever off duty? No, I mean I you just can't. I just don't think you can get it out of your system. We we've joked on on prior episodes about how we behave. We're so conditioned with what we're doing at work all the time that it's not always that easy to just flip a switch where okay, well my shift's done and I'm just going to go home and be a regular civilian like everybody else or. I'm going to go, you know, out to a restaurant or I'm going to the mall and I'm just going to walk around like everybody else is. I mean, you just naturally um, kind of get this thing in your head where you're always sizing up situations or sizing up people. You know, you're, you're out, you're at the mall, you're, you're looking around, you're kind of like hyper conscious of, of what's going on. So, I mean, it's it's not a bad thing. I mean, it does maybe get a little annoying at times and we always we, we go back to that. You know, if you you go out to eat, that's the, one of the biggest things we always laugh about. Like with cops, you go out to eat and you're, you go sit down at a restaurant and, every, you know, you always want your back to the wall and you're looking at the door and you're looking at the windows and your kids are moving around the table waiting, you know, because they know where you're going to want to sit or something like that. Um, so that part of it, um, it just comes with it. You know, right. you, you get adjusted to it. Your family gets adjusted to it. I mean, it's just part of what it is. I always ask um I do some stuff at one of the police academies, and I'll I'll ask these new recruits that are sitting there in the classroom, and I'll I'll ask them by a show of hands, hey, you know, how many of you have parents that are law enforcement? You know, just kind of as a joke, and they'll raise their hands, and and I'll make the joke about, hey, where do you sit when you go to a restaurant? You know, and you'll see them laugh because they know growing up, 
their parents were doing that same kind of thing. So, you know, it is what it is. It's it's not a bad thing. Everybody gets adjusted to it. As far as the, you know, the the taking action part, I mean, you know, you you got to be re- cautious with that. I mean, yeah. you, you what people need to remember is you have specialized training. Most, if not all, cops that I know are you know carrying weapons off duty and things like that. So you you have that, but you got to remember you're not. You, you, of course, would want to naturally try to protect life of other people, yourself, um, anyone that you are able to. But in those instances, you're not always equipped to handle it the way you would if I'm working. You know, I don't have a radio. I don't have right. all the equipment on me that I normally carry. I don't have all those things that I can do. Certainly, I think it's in our nature to want to try to intervene to do something. But you also have to be smart enough to know... Could it potentially create more problems? Could I put myself in a situation where cops that are working are responding to whatever this type of thing is, and I could get, you know, maybe they don't realize who I am because I'm, you know, how are you going to know that I'm a cop if I'm just a guy that has a gun in my hand or something like that, you know? So definitely um, things that you need to take into account. And, I mean, I I think Sean and Chris both, I mean, and you talk to just about any cop, when you're out with your family, I think we've all at some point had that conversation with our family. Hey, listen, you know, we're at a mall. It's, it's, it's the holidays or we're at a movie theater or we're wherever we're the, these things that unfortunately you see in the media all the time where these awful things are happening. Right. You, you have to, your family has to know what the limitations are there too, that you're not going to necessarily just go running into a gunfight off duty, but certainly you would do what you could. Um, but you have to take all those things into account. You know, when we first got hired, they told us this one thing, but be a better witness um, than anything else. Like, if you can be a good witness with your training to give information to the police officers. We had horror stories of officers that felt that they witnessed a DUI and they're driving around with their family or tailing a guy or pursuing him. Those are the kind of things that you obviously don't want to be doing. I mean, look at the nature of the thing that you're dealing with. And like we said, try to be a better witness at times than uh, somebody that's trying to solve the crime. I wanted to ask uh, Chris. These are questions for my kids. They they oh, love okay. the canine aspect. Okay. Um, when it comes to starting the process of getting a dog, mm-hmm. uh, obviously you didn't walk up to your boss one day and say, "Hey, I'm getting a dog." And and uh, what is the process not only for you but for for a, a dog like Max to be able to finally get to the point where you guys are working together? So. The dog's process is um, as soon as you're born, about, you know, anywhere between three to four weeks, they, they start going through some tests, you know, uh, making sure that they're interested, uh, they're not scared, they have, you know, some courage, some bravery, uh, and uh, they're, they're, they're inquisitive. So they go through some tests, and then at some point they'll pick out, it's a very, it's a very small percentage, um, they'll pick out, you know, a couple of dogs from the litter, and then they go on to train. There's a couple of things to do. My first dog was actually trained in Hungary for two years. And then when the dog was brought here and I was selected as a canine handler, uh, we had to introduce uh, the narcotic sniffs and stuff, but everything else, the obedience and stuff was pretty much all instilled. The other thing is, is um, they'll get a dog anywhere 10, you know, 10 months, you know, eight to 10 months, 12 months, and they'll get them green. And then your some departments have their own trainer that will train the dog. 
and then the dog just progresses and at, you know most of the time they you know they make it through but sometimes they just you know the dogs just shut down they just you know they can't make it through whatever it is and they stress out now as a handler um you know i always knew i wanted to be a canine handler ever since the start of the job so i just started talking to other handlers going to other dog training and uh, handler training uh, green dog training and i just kind of went through the process so i knew what i was getting into you know because everybody's like oh i get a dog i get a car it's great right. you know right. my right. own gas but they don't realize that you know our department is great because um, we have we get an hour of maintenance at the end of the shift and on our off days and everybody's like oh that's great but that's just if you want a working functioning dog training every other week after your initial training and getting an hour a day just isn't enough you know, and, you know, plus, and, you know, now you have this huge responsibility. You got to take care of it. You're a vet. You don't make sure it doesn't get, you know, bite anybody that's not supposed to get bit. Um, but uh, it's a long process. And then, you know, throughout the career, you know, it's just by the time you, you, we call them a remote control dog, by the time, you know, they're about, you know, like you could just open a door and start writing the report, you know, they last like six months, you know, <laughs> because it's just, it's just a, a learning process, you know, for, for everybody. Uh, but he does get to come home with me. He does live with me. And uh, um, it's one of the things that I think, you know, when we when I was getting selected, one of the things that they really um, interviewed me hard about is uh, excessive force, reasonable force, uh, search and seizure. And obviously, um, you know, this dog is an apprehension dog. So there's two types of dogs, it's apprehension and uh, a single purpose, which is they, they either uh, stiff bombs or um, or narcotics. My my both my dogs were dual purpose. So now you have, you know, a dog that apprehends people. Catches them. Yeah, yeah. catches them. For the kids. Right, for the kids, catches them. So, but my first dog was actually one of, or the first dog in our department that's actually social. So he, he, didn't, he didn't start out that way. Yeah. <laughs> Scott and I could tell you the story. The first day we met that dog, we were like, he's going to kill us. <laughs> he's next to the dryer down there. He's in that crate. We're like, he, what? Right. So, and, and they do. They start. And then, again, that's all towards the handler and stuff. So um, it's a lot of work. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun, though. It is a yeah. lot of fun. So, but it's just the big thing is you've got to make sure, you know, it's a huge responsibility. Right. It's like it's another tool on your belt that, you know, that you're carrying some liability. You want to be careful of. Now, are, are dogs life-limited uh, career-wise? You know, you can only take a dog to a certain age and then... It's based on health. Okay. You know, some dogs, you know, 8, some dogs 13. It just depends. I think my first dog was 11. One, one of the common things we see from that from the outside looking in, because, like, the dog's great, you know, especially the more social they are, but when the dog stops working, the dog becomes pretty melancholy. Like, it recognizes, you know... Chris is going to work right. and it gets depressed and it can, those dogs usually don't live very long after their life on the street. And oh, it's no not kidding. because we work them that hard. It's just that they know that's what they were meant to do. Like you see the same thing happen to cops. A lot of times, Hey, I'm going to retire. God, I hope this doesn't happen. But soon thereafter a guy expires because something is missing right, and, and, and it affects its health. So I've got three questions here and, uh, they were labeled. They actually came from Sean's favorite former intern, oh Megan. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Thanks, Megs. Uh, first question: When dealing with horrible and difficult days on the job, how do you transition to your personal life? Is there any advice you would give to new officers on how to deal with seeing things that they've never experienced when they were first starting out? Uh, I mean, I can just tell you from my personal experience. And, and don't say beat the bob. <laughs> don't be, not beat the bob. <laughs> Maybe a part of it. <laughs> Working out, that is. Um, the, uh, 
I mean, the thing that I've, I've over time, everybody sees something or multiple things that really affect them. Um, I was fortunate enough, and I've said this before, that I have a wife that understands the work because she did it for six years and kind of gives me some liberties that I, um, you know, maybe other guys don't get afforded, but it was able to just go home and kind of talk to her about it and understand that, like, she knows that for days I'm probably going to just deal with it, whether it be verbally or, you know, like, <clears throat> maybe not verbally, I'm just going to change it. She kind of can roll with it. I would say that, you know, understand that you selected a, a profession that the rest of the world doesn't really understand very well. And the fact is, like, it's been sensationalized by the media and things like that, good, bad, or otherwise. Uh, Hollywood never makes it seem like it really is. Like, you you know, you go back and watch those lethal weapon films, and you're like, yeah. well, he was crazy. I, I guess that was the right thing. But when you yeah. kill that many people in one day, eventually yeah. you're going to, you know, uh, crack. Um, but it's it's like everybody deals with it differently. I would say that you have to realize I need an outlet. If you come into this and realize, okay, I can stay by myself, I can stay this island, I'm good with that, you're going to see things that you can never imagine you'd see, and it'd be under conditions that are like affect you like sensory override, like smells sometimes will affect you when you hear something or smell something. You know, like you know the smell of burning flesh, you know, hearing a noise of some sort. Those are the things that can trigger that for you. And if you don't have healthy outlets, whether it be fitness or a good support network in your peers um or a spouse like i and unfortunate to have that just can put up with it um you're, you're going to struggle uh, and if you do start to struggle you do need to find people within the profession or even outside the profession that can help you psychologically but the way i dealt with it was largely tried to get back into a routine pretty solidly like i'm a routine driven guy my wife calls me turkey sandwich because <laughs> for 20 years straight i ate a turkey sandwich where's my turkey sandwich um and it's just part of getting back into a logical, normal routine for me <coughs> and realize that, hey, I signed up for this. I did. I, I signed up to do things. And if I'm going to take great pride in the fact that I do things that other people can't or don't want to, that some of the pitfalls that this is that. But I'm not alone. And then I, I, I need to find healthy, healthy outlets for that. And usually that comes from me in the form of discussing things. And you see, we see people a lot of times in training, we've had them over the years where you're you're young, you're new, you're starting out, and you, you've gone to the police academy, you've done all this kind of stuff, but then you're actually out there seeing stuff, and we see people from time to time that they see their first, you know, dead person or some kind of, you know, and I'm not talking like going to see grandma at the, you know, funeral home kind of dead person, like things that are awful, and people maybe that have been dead for a while or you know those types of things and it's kind of shocking actually i mean i remember the first time i saw that and when i was in training and it was like wow this is really nasty and but you know you work through it and whatever and but some people they don't react that well to it and it's overwhelming and they decide not to do it nobody faults them for doing that you know um but to that point you the, when you're talking about dealing with it and and stuff that you do I, to me, I think it does get a little harder with some of that stuff over the over time. Because when you're new and you start out, and you're, hey, maybe you don't have kids, or maybe you're not married, or whatever, and you're you're doing all kinds of new and exciting things. But then you you get older, you have you, you get married, you have kids, and then you see terrible situations that you you're you're like someone else's kids, you know, something you awful, and you face. start, and then it's like it has more of a personal effect on you because you're thinking to myself. Oh my God! You know, what if this was in my house with my kids? So that maybe sticks me personally. I mean, that sticks with you a little bit more. 
But again, you can't just be like, hey, I'm just a cop all the time. That's all I do. You know, you got to do other things right. outside of this job and have hobbies or whatever it is that you do that takes your mind off that stuff. Right. Well, and then like Scott was saying, over time, like, you know, when you're first on the job, you're like, oh, my God, what am I getting into? And, you know, then, you know, 18, 19 years, you walk up the door and you just smell that smell and you see the flies buzz and you're like, God damn it, I know what I'm going to go right. into now, you right. know? <laughs> right. <laughs> Now, would you guys say socially, um, your social circles are... You're looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> and the next question. All right, <laughs> moving on. Down to the next <laughs> and that doesn't include you. <laughs> well, you know, to that point, Lou, like, uh, hockey was kind of a respite for me. Like, people talked all this... But but even in hockey, you know, I was talking to my wife today about it. I was, you were, I, we I know, t- hang on, I, I interrupt. I, I, I picture walking into a rink and seeing all the parents, like, milling around and then just... You know, Sean up in the left corner all by himself. <laughs> well, there's some my son is a goalie. That's <laughs> why. So true to that. a goalie parent. We were talking about the day that w- that we met you guys, and w- we were working the penalty box together. Right. And 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 we got done. How apropos. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. That's my job. <laughs> and uh, you know, we drive home, and and my wife's like, "Oh, the Ferguson seemed like a like a nice family." And I was like, "I don't know. Ed, Sean is not a Lewis fan." <laughs> She's like, "What are you talking about?" And I was like, I, "I kept getting the side eye, and like, <laughs> I swear to God, he wanted to pat me down." Fast forward ten, ten months, I'm throwing up in his plane. You know, <laughs> it wasn't until the background check came back that we were right. we were all right, right. but. Right. But you know, it, it Sean's <laughs> taking his glass for prints. <laughs> 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 he checks out. <laughs> he called the childhood neighbors and yeah, right, all, right. all check background out. on him. But but I mean, do you, do you find it hard? Uh, you know, and coming from the pilot world, uh, you know, it'll be Friday night, and somebody will say, "What do you have going on this week?" And it's like, "Oh, I gotta go to a, wife's dragging me to a cocktail party," and and we'll say, "Well, a civilian one." <laughs> Meaning like right. yeah. non-violence, yeah, right. Right. You, you know, and you walk around there. What do you do? For, I'm in, a, I'm in the transportation industry. Yeah, right, oh, right, oh, really? What right, do you do? Right. I, I drive a bus. Right, like, right. I'm a stevedore. <laughs> because if they find out you're a pilot, you spend the rest of the night answering stupid questions about right. pilots. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I wear him out about pilot questions. Like, did you see this? And did you see that? Because it's like, I don't know. I just uh, a dork for aviation. I don't know anything about it. I just love the fascination of it. Like, see, I mean, know. but maybe it's because, like, maybe it's because we get the same stuff. Like, I don't care what you like. I'd be like, dude, you've been drinking. Get me where I'm going safely. <laughs> right. I'll right. be in. I'll be in right. seat three. Two bags right. of peanuts. Right. 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 <laughs> what? What? With our profession, a lot of times, I mean, you you always want to try to maintain your friendships with people outside of you know the job and everything. But what does make it difficult with this job? is that you work crazy hours you work holidays you know what i mean you and maybe you when you're new you're stuck working midnights or something for three four five years and so you you're you're doing these yeah you're doing these you're working these hours that are outside of the norm of w- what everybody else typically i mean is doing and so sometimes it's hard to get together with your friends that are friends outside of this this job and, and that kind of stuff right normal, right. 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 normal, normal people normal no you guys are totally normal I mean, but lou, lou had a lot of the similar experiences yeah. that's right i think he and i kind of hit it off after a while because like a lot of the hockey parents are just into their kids playing hockey and things right. like that and it's not that we're not it's just that i'm not like yeah, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> but he played a lot of hockey so i'm still a, you know a rookie at it but it was neat to talk to him because some of the similar experiences like i was fascinated with his work and it would ask him thousands of questions about it and he would just roll with it right. like for us it's like 
well, what did you do at work today, Sean? Well, I taught this guy how to, you know, do his trigger reset. And then, you know, he finally started getting people like, what? they just check out on you. Like, right. they don't hear that. But, like, aviation is something that's a little bit more normal to people. So it, it, it's tough. I mean, you can, a lot of cops do have a tendency to just hang with cops. Right. But that's where we become echo chambers. And that's where we're like, hey, we can always justify what we did and never have to answer to it because there's nobody outside your circle going, what? Why right. did you do that? You know, it, couldn't you have done something differently? No, this is the way we always do it, and we're always right. You know, I mean, get out of those echo chambers, and, and I, th- I think that's something that we all strive to do. I mean, we all came from unique walks of life prior to this, so I think like we were pretty civilianized in a lot of ways before we became cops. So I think that does help with ours. Yeah, and you could ask my wife. I'm totally good. <laughs> <laughs> totally good. Two people, I'm good. Right, right, uh, right, got right. nowhere else to go. Right. I'm totally fine. Totally good. Uh, her next question is, do you feel that the thin blue line can be divisive and officers should refrain from wearing the thin blue line gear, especially out of the field? Well, d- explain what the thin blue line is. It's a, it's a symbol uh, of a thin blue line, and it's the word thin blue line, that just, it's, uh, I guess you want to call it like a patch or, you know, or, or a symbol of, you know, of, of the brotherhood. And I think a lot of people have a misconception about the thin blue line, too, because they think it's like, oh, everybody keeps secrets and it's a code and whatever. Really, if you look at the history, the thin blue line is the blue line between, between peace and chaos. That's really where it started. So, they, you know, I, I want to make sure everybody doesn't get the misconception that it's just all this code and all this. That's where it started. And I think people should be able to wear it because it's just that's part of, you know, what we, we want to uphold the Constitution and people's freedoms and their rights and stuff. So, you know, if you want to wear, you know, a, a fireman or you want to wear, you know, uh, you know, that I'm a pilot or, you know, I'm part of, you know, this group or that group, you know, I don't think we should be any different when it comes to your First Amendment right. And the thin blue line has become divisive because, you know, certain people have kind of hijacked the idea of that. And we didn't do a good job of like explaining it just like Chris did. Um, and, you know, what it represents to some people is, you know, death and destruction and chaos on their side of it because of what they feel we bring to the equation. And it's not true. It's just not true. There are bad circumstances that police officers have to deal with. Uh, under those kind of circumstances, we're very unforgiving to mistakes that people make at a distance of a yard and they have to decide about their life and somebody else's lives and things like that. But, you know, wearing it on your uniform, that's an agency thing. They're going to de- they're going to tell you whether you can wear that or not. I mean, I used to wear as a veteran, I would wear a American flag pin on my mic lapel, which sat up on my collar. And I had people say to me that, you know, I don't represent that well or I don't do this and I don't do that. And, you know, at that point, I was a veteran and everything else. And I would just look at them and go. Hey, that's your opinion, man. It, it's this symbol. What you want to make of it is what you want to make of it. But but the bottom line is this is what it means to me. So if people are going to get offended by anything that you're wearing, yeah, I mean, we have become such a hypersensitive society in that everything could be an affront to people. We're tearing down statues of people that, you know, are being misconstrued and everything else right now. We've got to be really careful about this because before you know it, we're going to be wearing gray jumpsuits like this is 1984 and nobody's going to be able to do anything. You know what I mean? No one's going to be able to do anything out of line or step out of, out of that, uh, that realm because everything's offensive. Right. <coughs> uh, one question here about concealed carry. Um, this actually comes from my father-in-law. He lives in Missouri. Uh, and he says he has no concealed carry permit in Illinois and he carries in Missouri under the, constitu- the Missouri constitutional right. Uh, he always has a loaded pistol in his car, but travels to Illinois pr- quite frequently. If he were to forget his si- sidearm and d- to stow his sidearm and uh, get pulled over for a simple traffic violation, what would be the outcome? Well, I mean, a simple traffic violation, unless unless we're looking in your car 
Um, Unless we have a reason to yeah, search, search your car. Yeah. But if let's say we have a reason, uh, there's no reciprocity with the state of Illinois. You have to have a state of Illinois concealed carry thing. Now, I, I'm going to say that tongue-in-cheek because there's also now the, uh, the, the stance of that your car is your home. So if you have a gun in your car, I'll be honest with you, I, at this point, I don't know how the, the district attorneys would, uh, would view that. Uh, with all, with all, because now they're going to Constantia. Uh, yeah, going to make it a you know. broad assumption here that if he's coming up from Missouri, he's coming from some more of our rural counties down there to drive through that. So it might be interpreted uh, differently. But like people assume, like we can like walk up to a car and know there's a gun in the glove box. I right. know it is. Like sense it. Like, well, sense it. So sense. when we get to the car, if there's something that determines the fact, like if he goes and grabs his insurance out of there and we see the gun, we'll be like, hey, what's the gun doing there? You know what I mean? Somebody might react to that a little bit differently than the way I just described it, but. The idea of that is that I think most cops on stops will recognize what's going on and what's not. Um, you've got guys that just write traffic tickets to say, hey, well, you stored this improperly. It's a violation. It's class A misdemeanor. You're under arrest. You know what I mean? And some guys might go, it's not wise to do that, right. sir. Here's what we're going to give you an opportunity to do. Now, if you step out of the car, I'm going to take the v- uh, weapon. I'm going to place it in the trunk of your car and make sure it's unloaded. You know, th- things along those lines. Again, discretion goes a long way in that. And, you know, <clears throat> You know, dependent upon what your circumstance is, and you know, obviously, you had no right to have a gun in that car. I mean, like you're a felon, or you, you know, whatever that can be handled differently. But I, I think it's going to be handled differently. There's no set answer on that because the law can be interpreted in a lot of different ways. Right, and we have a, we'll have people. I've had other people ask me about it too. I'm not an expert on it in every state, and you know, going from this state to that state. So I'll just usually tell people. Hey, you know, you can probably find something on the internet that says, as far as what if I'm, what are your concealed carry laws or what are your firearm laws in whatever state it is that I'm going to? And I, I think pretty much anywhere you go out there, right. you can find an answer for that kind of stuff nowadays. And right. the number one thing is if people are doing it responsibly. I mean, that's ultimately, you know what I mean? Like Sean was saying, you know, if if you're if you're doing it responsibly, that's that's number one right. and then and pointed at me you know and you just need to you need to go out there and do some research and find out where it is where you're traveling and see what's what the right policies are right. so so if you during a traffic stop if if because i i don't know i don't have a concealed carry permit do you have to advise the officer that that you not in the state of illinois in the state of illinois where they're one of the only states i think if not the only state where we have to ask is the policeman we have to ask the driver do you yeah. have a gun and if you go as far as making contact with somebody to say that you're going to write them a warning or a ticket or something like that, or even an arrest when you say run this person through our system to check their criminal history or their driving status it will say in there it comes up not a ccl carrier or a ccl so you know what you're dealing with and there are a lot of rules with it honestly the people that are responsible ccl they're way more they're like hunters they you right. know oh you kill ducks well those guys also go restock you know, duck nests. They do all the things to preserve environments to make it that the ducks are there so they can hunt them. And 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 people that are concealed carry folks are the same way. They're really, really very responsible with the idea that and will warn you far in advance and will not do things that are reckless. And I'm not speaking for all of them, but I'm speaking for the vast majority of them. And a lot of the classes that you take in this state, we were one of the last states to even allow it. Um, they strictly cover that with you with the instructors. They're like, this is not meant to be the Wild West. You are doing this in immediate defense of life. And people really kind of, yeah. I think, respond to it. Most people that I, I have to say pretty much ever since it started, I don't think I've ever had, or had a concealed carry person to tell me that either they either do or they don't have a gun. I mean, they're, you know, they're generally pretty. I had one guy wanted to show me. I'm like, no, 
<laughs> no, no that's, accidents yeah. happen. This is my grandfather's 380. No, 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 no. no, no. Um, but I think one of the other misconceptions is, is: can we take the gun or can we not take the gun? That's you know, officer pervert. I mean, we can't take it to keep it. Some some officers want to take it for their own safety. Um, secure I don't. it until yeah, the, the stop is safe, and you have enough officers there to assist. So. Again, yeah. it's it's, it's going to be interpreted. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's My a right. I mean, yeah. it's a right yep. by the Constitution, and because somebody doesn't have a, has a gun, doesn't mean as a police officer you can immediately just assume that they're a bad person. Right. And this is the last state to go through it, and we're working our way through it. But we're, it wasn't like, as it was described, like you're going to bump somebody's grocery cart and you're right. going to start shooting each other. That that stuff clearly has not happened. Now, is from a a, constant, uh, a concept standpoint, uh, would you rather see open carry? No, actually, um, I'm going to go with no on that one. I'll let you guys answer, and, and here's the reason why. So I was up in Wisconsin, and I'm shopping, and it's just probably mostly because I'm, the, I'm a cop. I see a 1911 on a guy's hip in a Walmart. I'm grabbing my wife and my kids and everything. I'm like, holy, this is where I'm going to go down in friggin' Walmart. <laughs> you know, um, I don't prefer, you know, open carry just for the mere fact is that you have multiple people looking at and stuff and and i just don't for me why show it i mean you have it there to protect you and your loved ones and if you need it you need it and plus if i were the bad guy you're the first dude i'm shooting you got a gun you'd be the first one and then you're gonna die in front of your wife and children i mean chris chris's theory is a valid theory i don't agree with that i think to me it, if it's guys got it on his hip i can see it i know where it's at i know exactly what's happened if he starts reaching for it then you know why is he reaching for it? Does he see something that I need to see, or is it going to be me that he think is the problem? Um, I'm not intimidated by the fact that a person has a gun on their hip or they're carrying a rifle somewhere. It's what they're doing with it. Like anything else, like I'm not intimidated by people driving. More people are going to die at the hands of driving a car uh, when a person's texting and driving. I'm more concerned about that than you know the idea of uh, of somebody with uh, open carry. So that, that's just my take on it. I would, I'd much rather know. Right, and I, well, I, I think. Well, what we want to see or me just consistency pick one mm-hmm. why you know don't confuse it pick one right. yeah i pick one gun <laughs> no 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 oh, okay no. Right. i i oh, on me now yes yeah, but no. i don't think it would bother me I, again where where we are here we don't have that so it would you know if you did that if all of a sudden we went to that it would probably be like wow now it's weird that you're seeing that but then again i know people that live in the parts of, parts of the country that they do have it and to them and 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 states where people do carry guns openly on them and you know i know cops there and things like that so it, again it's just kind of your environment i suppose you know right. it'd be like anything else it would probably be um probably be weird here not having it but right. again i don't know of any major problems in any of those other places where they do have it so no what did i know um what is the best police movie and why is it the departed <laughs> but it's not the departed. <laughs> I, I bring this up because there's <laughs> Turner and Hooch, right? I, I can't watch aviation movies; they're just yeah. too. Well, so, but right? Oh yeah. Um, Is there a movie like God. you can't walk into a hangar anywhere in the world without hearing at least one Top Gun line? Right, no. Oh right, yeah, right, right. we you were say, we were saying that like ten that times before you just got here. Wearing so you know, <laughs> yeah. those things yeah. out, like I said, the shirtless volleyball game we got going. Me right. and Lou yeah. will be. Uh, Right. Yeah, like on one yeah. side and you guys are on the other. We're all wearing jeans though, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it is December. So. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Really, uh, one that I liked uh, it was the one that was Russell Crowe and. Um, Denzel Washington? No. 
uh, Hollywood Confidential, I think, was what, I, I think it was what it was called. I think it was back in the 40s, like when LAPD was supposedly coming up. But it was, a lot of it was caricatured. But was, the cops were actually portrayed pretty poorly in it. Mm. But I liked it like from the idea of like they portrayed the different types of personalities of cops that you have, like the enforcer the muscle and right. then you had the guy that was like the the guy that was glamoured up with Hollywood and he was advisor to films and he was like he had lost his zeal for the work and then you had the ambitious guy because we all know who that guy is um, uh, you know every agency's got one of those right. guys like oh, he just moves through the ranks as quickly as possible and I was like wow that's that was actually a pretty good portrayal of mm. like some of the things now you know everybody just was doing some crazy stuff out in LA if that's <laughs> right, true right. Um, but I think it was called LA Confidential um, and it, it kind of like covered a lot of those things that I that, that resounded with me I'll watch that if it's on I won't be like this is tripe turn right. it off you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean like lethal weapons everybody loves those I'm like these are so yeah. fucking stupid if I'm watch cop shows this would be like 40 like real like 48 hours you know first 48, or, first 48. Fe- or, or female forces right yes yes right? that's my most yes. favorite um <laughs> You know, your first 48, what's the other one? Live PD that they took off, that kind of stuff. Yeah, Cops. I mean, I, I like I like the police m- movies, but I'm in the same boat as you, like when you're, what you're talking about, you know, the yeah. pilot thing. I mean, the, the, that stuff is what makes those, those police movies, makes them exciting because they're, it's nonstop car chases and <laughs> shootouts right, and right. stuff. And, 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 and it's like, I mean? man, I wish my job was that exciting all the time. Holy cow, could you imagine if I crashed five cars a day, you know, and, like, it's like, you know, the old Dirty Harry movies and right. stuff, you know, and you're just running through the, the streets, sh- just... Sh- just like getting seven just shots of a six-round jump, gun. Jumping from <laughs> building to building, Cal and, like, man. I mean, it's it's just, <laughs> you know, jump, ju- jumping cars and stuff, and it's like, wow, that would be cool if it was really like that, because right. it's actually not. Let me show you... In this episode, Scott does timesheets yeah, right, right, for right, 45 right, minutes. Right, 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 right. Wow. Look at him go. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, not super exciting. canine maintenance. Right, right. Uh, yeah, look at, he wrote up, you know, he had to write up this car because the radio wasn't working. It's like, man, whoa, your administrative skills are amazing. Yeah, it's like super when exciting. When I was a kid, I would, like, I loved Mad Max, you know, that, you know, that apocalyptic oh, yeah. bronze, you <laughs> yeah. know. You know, all those things. The kid didn't show. The job didn't show. <laughs> that guy, you know. Like you watch that film now, and you're like, oh, my God, that was awful. Uh, but, uh, like, it was always the idea of the adventure and stuff like that that lured you into it. But not. I, I think there's not really one out there. Yeah. You talk to most cops, and you're like, oh, that's our movie. You know, no. No. I mean, <laughs> end of Watch. Some people say they really uh, enjoyed yeah. that. Yeah, yeah um, but, I mean, yeah. But even. And, and Training Day, which is like, you like to get I just wet? watch I them like, that's so like stupid. That'll never <laughs> happen. PCP on the job. <laughs> yeah, and rolling like, around. Well, like, yeah, that's that's what happens. You, it's like the it's like the TV shows, the police TV shows. You know, you, I cannot watch them. You know, my yeah, my wife will sit and watch them. these right. shows, and you're like, okay, yeah, sure, that's what they did. Yeah, right. right. I'm sure. Right. Yeah, I'm sure that was cool, and you still have a job. Like, right. give me a break. You know what right. I mean? Right. And and again, it wouldn't. You have to have that stuff to make it exciting, right? Because he's you, co- would, he's you, you would the heart of gold yeah. and shreds the Constitution. <laughs> right. Right. And then, you know, and then my, you know, the, the, my wife and kids will try and watch these murder mysteries in like three minutes. And I'm like, the dad did it. Get out. We're watching one now. Stop ruining like, it. Yeah, we're watching one now. And it's, and, you know, I, and I'm watching, I'm watching. I'm like, God, I know the dad did it. Come on. Yeah, man, speed right. this up already. Speed but it's, this up. But it's on Hallmark, so it's like a Christmas <laughs> theme one. <laughs> you know, I pet my golden retriever while I'm watching <laughs> it. My sweater. 
<laughs> well, we were joking about it before, you know, the TV shows about the Reno 911 oh, thing. Yeah, I yeah. said, I'm like, oh my God. you know what? I mean, you might as well I, just go that extreme. To yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's honestly, I think more things fall in line with some of that stuff that you see yeah, on there. Yeah, right, they, right. Do. <laughs> right. <laughs> they do with some of these serious mm-hmm. ones. But I mean, I, there's clearly yeah. some problems right now when you look at how Hollywood is portraying police officers. And again, they take the worst possible scenarios or experiences that you can draw from the police world and then paint it with this broad brush that we're all that way. And it's not doing us much service. You know, we got to stop giving up material. But the bottom line is, is it's like either you're a complete joke or you're just this rotten human being that all you want to do is suppress people's rights and things like that. It gets a little aggravating. So you, at a time when you see it as a cop, you're like, oh, this story again. And maybe some stories I should give him more of a chance to. But I'm just like, look, uh, you know. It's just this. This is really not the way it is, and you're making money off of this, promoting violence, and then you're going to come out and lecture us about, about violence. About, about violence, you know what I mean? So you kind of get a little jaded, and I would much rather watch a movie about pilots. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Really, like, I'll watch the right stuff a thousand times. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I was like, oh, this is fascinating to me because, you know, it's. No, there are no cops in it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's great. That's why it's great. <laughs> Little women. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, it, one thing I wanted to ask from a pilot standpoint, your guys' phonetic alphabet on the radio is, oh, yeah. is much different than ours. It's it, w- yeah, you guys got it all screwed up. It's I don't know what you uh, did. <laughs> ours is, if you were to go by modern standards of offense, it's very misogynistic and uh, that it's all male names <laughs> by and large. Right. I don't think there's right. only a Q Queen is the only one on there. Right. And if you're a dude, I mean, right. you could be a queen. So it too, is established. You guys aren't making this shit up. No, like no, 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 no. It's established. No. And what happens if you come from the military like I did, you wade in and out of that pool like you know like oh uh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Like you'll still you'll have we it happens i mean you, we have people that we hire that are former military and they're still using that and i mean we you know it, everybody knows what it is that you're saying so you but, but then those will come in there from time to time um, <laughs> you'll know who's military different, right yeah right right jay jelly yeah <laughs> That's my favorite. Yeah, one. I do. Somebody came the air ran somebody. We, we have <laughs> had some. We I have to say we've had some funny ones over the years <laughs> where you have you have new people. You know, because once you like you once you get it down, yeah. you it's just Debbie comes was, like Debbie it comes was actually <laughs> Debbie, my wife was actually did it yesterday when she was on the phone, <laughs> phone with United making you know checking her reservations. She's like, "Q Queen, hey Adam." I'm like, "Get, get him, right, honey. Right, right, <laughs> I love you." Right. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, go yeah, because you 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 uh, you will have new people get hired and. Again, you're supposed to be learning it in the academy. You're supposed to come out being right. competent with that. You know, they always tell you, oh, make sure when you're driving home from the, the academy today that you're pr- practice running license plates in front of you and say it out loud so you can try to, you know, memorize it. But it never fails <laughs> that you, you'll you hear you'll hear There's somebody new one. and they'll say something random. And that was one that we had this individual that uh, – the J Jelly. It was J Jelly. I think I almost, yeah. I almost ran I just, my. Ca- I just I, dropped I, and started yeah, my twenty. I just, I, I just, knew it was coming. I actually, I actually looked down at the radio. Like, wait, what did I just hear? That's, that was. I mean, hey, it was interesting. It was, uh, I'm like, that's the one and one and only J Jelly. But I might do that on my last day. Yeah, right. Do you guys have? You know, the aviation world has call signs. Do you guys have? You know, nicknames that. That you guys, hmm. because something that like actually, that, that we actually call each other. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, no. every every officer, like when they go out, is assigned a number in some way, shape, or form. Like, you know, where they're at, no, they yeah. three K nine or whatever. But what we used to do would be fun. Like you'd be working midnight shift, and it'd be like so boring, and you'd get a call. 
But our bosses were at the time were somewhat inept, and we came in together <laughs> as a group. And they couldn't remember <laughs> they our couldn't names, overpower us. like our first name. They'd see in the hallway, be like, they'd see me, like, hey, Carl, how you doing? I'm like, okay. Uh, so we would get on the air, and we would like, like call another guy to work. Call, be like, instead of saying Chris, I'd be like. I'd be like, uh, Marv, can you come over to the stop? <laughs> and he's like, I'm, I'm, it was just our way of like staying awake and joking with each yeah. other. So we developed call signs for each other. And a lot of the coppers are really actually, if you could understand, like there's this whole like underworld of radio traffic that you engage in, which I'm sure like you yeah. were doing that when we were getting ready to take off. I'm like, oh, I guess this is what it sounds like when you're getting ready to go to hell and puke. <laughs> uh, but he was doing all these things. I'm like, how does he freaking remember to say all that stuff? Right. But the same thing is like in our world. Right. And I'm sure like you could be talking to each other in ways that it's like, it's English, but I have no idea what you're right. saying. But and you I mean, we, and I don't, in the aviation world, it's more like you can, you call each other your call signs when you're not even flying, right? Well, it, like it's nicknames? usually the results, uh, the result of some kind of screw up. And you <laughs> kind of right. own uh, it for the rest right. of the year. And okay. And, and in, you know, in my world, you know, when the CEO learns your call sign, I mean, you really screwed right. up. Oh, you got one, though? You got a, you got uh, a call sign? I, I do. It's inappropriate at this <laughs> time. <laughs> hey, this is podcasting. It's a wild west. That you can say whatever you want. I, I, I'll give you an example. One of our pilots uh, put a ding in an airplane from, you know, towing it around or whatever, and he was Captain Crunch for probably <laughs> a year. Nice and safe for him, though. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, when I first got hired on with this family, one of the family members could not memorize my name and called me Stu and to this day that guy will like <laughs> he's been corrected he's like you're Stu like, you're forever Stu well we've yeah. we've got Nick, we've got a lot of people with nicknames like that that are you know a guy in a group that we got hired with that somebody just butchered his name when we got hired you know when we were getting equipment and to the point where we were just we laughed about it for days and days and then eventually we still call him that once in a while and we'll blurt it out and it morphed it morphed into a nickname that I mean, th- that is how people know him. I mean, oh, it's yeah, around I mean, the region. I mean, <laughs> it's like yeah, it's unbelievable, and it's it's not it's not bad or right. like derogatory. It's just it's funny. It right. was a funny spin on his name, and I mean, th- I, that's uh, that when I when he answers the phone, that's what I call him. You know what I mean? Right. Or like so I you're program into yeah. my phone, yeah. Right. And it's neat to see the rookies are like. You know, hey, that you know, they give his name up, yeah. and I'm like, oh man, I, I was there. The Nexus. Yeah. So I was there when he got that name. Right. <laughs> <laughs> How did this start? That nickname's 20 years old. Yeah, right. Wow. <clears throat> so you get have, you guys have been in the force 20 years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Next yeah. week. Yeah. Next week. Really? Years. Yeah. Well, happy anniversary. Yeah. Well, thank, thank, you. thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So if you guys could go back to your your former selves, first day on the job, what would you what what advice? What would you say to your younger self? Wow, that's a man. That's a home run right there. Yeah, it's first class question right there. Right, there's a drink cart served with that one. <laughs> um, wow, what would I tell my younger self? Uh, wow. I guess for me, it would just be like, you know, just keep the faith, keep doing what you're doing. There's there there are good people. You're here. You're here for the good people. Right. Instead of like everybody's just awful and horrible and bad, it'd just be like keep keep the course that you're doing is for good people for good reason. And I'd say stay pure to the process and what's right. You know, stay pure to the process and you will be rewarded for whatever it is you're looking for. Don't let the first sign of trouble, you know, I've watched guys just burn in at two years on the job and because they didn't get something or something didn't go their way. And the next, you know, 18, you know, 23 years, they're like, this place sucks. Right. You know, I mean, the, there's enough that you see in this work that you make you think life sucks. But if you kind of put that on yourself, stay pure to it, work hard, 
you fall down, get back up and try to do it. And some people might say, well, that never really happened to you. But you don't know what happened to a dude before he became a cop. You don't know what happened to a dude while he's a cop. Just stay pure to it and you'll be rewarded. I, I, for me, I, I would I would hang on to things maybe a little longer than I should, you know, things that would aggravate me, stuff like that. I mean, you maybe ask people that know me now, they might argue <laughs> that that hasn't <laughs> changed. But in my head, it's changed. <laughs> I mean, uh, just a maturity thing, you know. I mean, again, I... Not necessarily something you could have changed at the beginning, but if you could tell yourself something like, "Hey, listen, people are gonna—they're gonna hate you just for who you are and what you do this job." You know what I mean? That kind of stuff. Um, they're gonna—they're gonna just your mere presence of being somewhere. People are gonna want to hate—they hate you or want to see you dead or whatever. And you'd get like me. Some of that stuff would really kind of eat at you, but right. then you. Then you realize as you move on and whatever. And so to your point um, with that question, part of the one of the things that I do when I'm doing some of the training that I do at the police academy, I tell people that like these young new officers that are that are sitting there, they're all excited to do this job and, you know, they're wanting to do it for all the right reasons and everything. And you tell people, hey, just remember you're 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 doing this for the right reason you want to go out and do good things we we understand that but just remember from day one when you get out there there's overwhelmingly people are going to appreciate you and be thankful for what you do but there are people that literally hate you just because of the profession that you chose to do so just you know be able to just keep that little thing in the back of your head and remember that you know well i guess the one other thing i would tell my younger self is that internet dating is not dating it's <laughs> <laughs> not i was a pioneer but your stories to us were bro i was a pioneer stories to us one small oh, step sure. for man <laughs> one giant leap for a guy that lives with his parents <laughs> oh my god that's so yeah, <laughs> it seems like it was just <laughs> yesterday. It just, yeah, it just it does seem like yesterday. Yeah, Those are stories that will live with me forever, yeah, not yeah, just right, with you. Right, yeah. That's what's amazing. Right. Victrola's the best, but yeah. that's a whole other yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> other show. So I guess going back, I would say. Ask Sean for more stories. <laughs> I tell my younger self to ask Sean for more Listen, stories. Can you create just more so there's today? more yeah. stories to have. <laughs> Learn from my mistakes. <laughs> uh, here's one from uh, Colin. And it says, as someone who's going into law enforcement, what's the most important uh, thing to focus on between years one and five? He's been reading and listening to all the different things, and it's a, bad, it's a tad overwhelming, he says. I think years one and five for me was just, f- f- I, mean, I mean, I knew I wanted to be in canine, but for me, years one and five is just focusing on doing the job right and making sure I knew all the rules, all the regulations, and just, you know, and sustain it, just stay in the course. I mean, making sure I did it right. Yeah, one in five for me was the purity of the work. I mean, that's the backbone of what we do. Um, you know, that's where officers get their start in patrol. It's where you learn. You learn a lot of different things in that time. And some guys go meteoric during that time and get out of it rather quickly and then, you know, try to lecture you about, oh, I remember what it was like when I was on the road. <laughs> it was like you were, like, on for probation, and then you got done. Um, it's a good time. Like I, I did, I think five years before I actually got off the road and got into. I think it was five years minimum back then. The tactical work, um, and then you know you move on to other things. But I'd say focus on the purity of the work, and you're going to make mistakes. Learn from those mistakes. It's impossible to remember all the things that we got to remember. It's you know, the books are so thick, and the general orders are so right. much. Just know where you can reference that stuff, and if you make a mistake, own it, move on. And, uh, 
you know, take whatever, yeah. yeah, take what you take, take what you get from it, whether it be punishment, suspension, whatever. Hey, you were doing your best, you were doing the right reasons, and and then you know, start to think about where can I go in the next five. I tell people to try to get involved in as much stuff as you can. I mean, just you have you don't get better at doing this unless you experience stuff. You know, mm-hmm. you if you're kind of always just, I'll I'll be the second guy or girl there to handle this thing. You know what I mean? I'll be the backup person. I'll do that kind of stuff. You got to get out there and you got to do it. You got to have interactions with people. You need to go to calls and experience all the things that are out there, you know, try to do some proactive stuff um, and then decide like, you know, what kind of develop your own, your own take on this job and and what, like what you want to get out of it. Definitely training. I know Sean would, back on this one for sure that the training aspect i mean try to get as much training as you can in a variety of different things because there's no there's no two scenarios that you're going to ever have that are exactly the same and you might not hit there's not the exact right training for every single thing that you're ever going to encounter ever in this career but be get involved and then also you know the the people that you whatever agency that you work for the people that have good reputations or are known for doing like being experts in whatever it is that they do go to those people and talk to them, you know, find out how did you get to where you're doing this thing? I knew that that was a thing that I knew what I wanted to do pretty early on as far as like specialty things. So I sought those people out or I went to those calls or went to those traffic stops where people were engaging with people to learn what they were doing. So I knew what I, you know, I could set myself up for being successful down the road. Right. Cool. Well, well, Luke, we we're going to ask you some questions oh, now. <laughs> Stu <laughs> Maverick <laughs> Ice. <laughs> right. Stu. <laughs> we're uh, yeah, going to ask we you some questions that, like, I don't know whether they'll be stereotypical questions, the asinine questions well, they that people will ask pilots right. all the time and things like that. So we want to take this time to give you a chance to kind of tell us and our listeners a little bit about your world. I come from the training world, and what frustrates me about police training is uh, aviation and law enforcement are a lot of the same. We have tools that we have that if we do not really know what we're doing with them, a lot of bad things can happen with this. You talked to me a little bit about like how often you have to go and train and what you have to stay current on and things like that. Can you elaborate a little bit about what you do in a year for training as a, as a pilot? Uh, well, it's a little different in the situation that I'm in. If you were an airline pilot um, or a charter pilot, you, as a captain, go every six months to the simulator. And it's usually three days, two or three days of ground school and two or three days of the simulator. Um, What's ground school? Ground school is, is literally you sit in a room kind of like this, and they take apart a hydraulic system and, and show you all the moving parts. And Gee, that, they get fancy words. Like ours is freaking classroom. Yeah. Ground school. That's why they're cool. Right. <laughs> Super cool. <laughs> um, it, and you sit. Uh, the first day is usually uh, an instructor talking about incidents that have happened in the field over your f- particular fleet of uh, or a particular type of airplane. And then uh, there's three tests I think you take, and then they throw you into the simulator. Um, The first night will be something like all cold weather operations. So you're dealing with snow and slippery runways, and and you're uh, you're dealing with any emergency that you can think of, and especially the ones that have happened recently. You know, if somebody has an engine uh, that blew up, you're you're going to practice that on a wet runway and an icy runway, and Mm -hmm. and 
you know, everybody always asks what the most dangerous part of a flight is. And I tell them it's, it's literally two seconds long and it happens on the runway as you accelerate to a, to a point that we call V1 and V1 is a point of no return. If you were to abort the, the takeoff before V1, um, you'd get the airplane stopped on the pavement. If you elected to abort after that point, you're going to be in the grass. So we always say that after V1, we're flying. No matter what, the thing could be on fire. We're going to take it in the air. <laughs> so what we actually practice You should tell in. people that uh, right, right away. Yeah. Opening All right, right away. folks. Right well, right just right so you know, right. at this point now here, um, <laughs> even if the plane's that? on fire, we're going up in <laughs> the air. Imagine that. Ding. This is your captain. It's on fire, but we're at V1. So hold on to your shit because we're going to go down. There would still be somebody getting up trying to go to the bathroom. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Am I going to make my connecting flight? But I got to go. Uh, <laughs> so I say we do a show. We go to the simulator with a couple of bottles. Oh, <laughs> uh-huh. We videotape the show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. totally. I'm uh-huh. sure the FAA guys would be all good with that. Totally. Three cops talk, we bind somebody a simulator <laughs> over that. Well, I kind of thought there'd be drinks here. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're armed. <laughs> uh, uh, but, so but, so what, what, what they actually do is they'll go, okay, and we brief it for every takeoff we ever do. We, and each pilot's got his own specific brief. And depending on what the day's like, you're telling your co-pilot, you're saying, we're going to board for any abnormality before 80. From 80 to V1, we're only going to board for engine fire, failure, loss of aircraft control, thrust reversal deployment, ground support deployment, any red cast. Anything turns red in the cockpit, we're stopping. Or anything that, that's going to affect the safety of the flight. After that, we're taking it in the air. And so what they'll do is is the instructors will test you. How long does that last? Like that... that 80 to V1 thing. You just 80 say. to V1. I mean, we, we rotate around 125 or 130. So what a good co-pilot will, will time it so that he says the word, ends the word V1 with the captain, giving the captain enough time to make the decision. So what they'll do is actually they'll, they'll blow up your engine at five knots before V1 and three knots before. And then the easy end of it. Right. Yeah, right. And then yeah. they're. Yeah. They're like that was one after you're dead. Like, you're done. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah and that's so right. right. Wow. Crazy. So and and, and and I'm sure you guys deal with the same thing. The idea is to get into this rote habit. Um, and, and I've had emergencies, and and you know people are like, well, were you scared? And I was like, actually, not until I got in the car right. to yeah, drive right. home. Exactly. And right. all that I'm trying, to, I'm trying to live right now. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. I don't have time to. Right. Well, yeah, we had one. Last year, it wasn't an emergency. I'd, I'd call it more of an abnormality. But they, there was some some struggle and some some uh, pressure to it. And we did it literally did everything per per the book. Landed, and I remember looking up after we got on the ground, and I turned to my co-pilot. I was like, did you touch that? He's like, No, you did it. I'm like, Oh, you didn't even remember. Yeah, what, point did that? Yeah. what did I do? Yeah, That's yeah. really. And then we listened to the FDR. And I was like, I don't remember saying that. Right. You, you know, you listen to yourself flying the airplane, and. At one point, we, our flaps our flaps were stuck up, which is a bad situation uh, because you have to land a lot faster. But I remember uh, on the recording as I'm making the turn, I was like, I never pitched. I, I literally said, I never thought she'd get so rumbly because right. the <laughs> wings are rumbling. Shaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but you get in the car and you're driving home and all of a sudden it's like, holy oh my God, that, you know, yeah. Died. Yeah. <laughs> I could have died. <laughs> yeah, but to your credit, it's nice to know, obviously, then that yeah. you yeah. can function under that kind of stress, right. which is, you know. It's like that inflatable co-pilot from airplane that just popped <laughs> <laughs> uh, Auto? Auto. <laughs> auto, right, auto right, right, there you go. 
Yeah, so so <laughs> training is the three days in the sim. Um, each session is about four hours long, and you come out just exhausted. I bet. Yeah, um, so it stresses pretty much. Yeah. yeah, and and we, you know, you guys have partners. We have. I I have a partner, and there I've known him for fifteen years. And there's times we get out of the sim, like your head was up your right. ass. Yeah, what right. was that all about? Like, what are you talking about here? Right. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> Just the simulator, yeah. right? But yeah. that's the place to do it. Like we tell the coppers, like make the mistakes here, so you we don't, discuss you know, it. yeah, we, yep. we can. We're, we're not doing it out there. Real people, real guns, you know. Yeah. yeah. You guys got a question for him? No. Anything? Come on. Nothing. You got nothing. I can. No. Do you steal nothing? I can do say. You steal <laughs> those airplane bottles. <laughs> <laughs> the ones I was gonna say. Like, I don't have any serious questions. Right. I mean, yeah. you know, but do you ever yeah. have to drop yeah. a duffel bag <laughs> in the middle of Texas? <laughs> <laughs> Feet. Does the plane does the plane have windshield wipers? <laughs> 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 yeah, we actually do. Right. And yeah. you, you have to if you want to use them, you got to slow below two hundred and fifteen. Wow. If you want to use the windshield wipers, just just ripped off, kind of like you, Scott, going off fifty nine. <laughs> <laughs> wow. wow. <laughs> well, I think that is a wrap for this first show. We really appreciate you coming out, Lou. Oh, and thanks uh, for thanks, having me. Thanks, Lou. Thank you. That's Thank awesome. you. I, I wish you guys uh, the best of luck with this. This is a really great thing. Thank you. It's kind of it's kind of up in the air if you're coming back, but what's up? Up in the air. Don't be here all night, Try the chicken tip away. You know, maybe the swag game. Like if I was on Joe Rogan right now, I'm probably walking out with a PS5 or something. Right, right. Yeah, well, when I get 150 million for the show, I got number two Dixon pencil for you there. And some hand sanitizer. Help yourself. There's plenty there. Well, that being said, we'll go ahead and wrap it up for future shows. If you have any questions, please send them to three cops talk at gmail.com. That's the number three cops talk at gmail.com. Thanks, and we'll see you soon. Thank you.